Southeast Radio's morning mix. Chat, news and your views. You described the conditions that you've been through and I I want to point out this is not Wexford General Hospital and we are not going to identify the hospital and I I totally accept that because of the position you are in and uh, and also you don't want to... uh, uh, give the details, but can you share your experience? Because when you described it as inhumane, that is fairly strong stuff, Mick. What do you mean by inhumane? Well, the World Medical Association and World Health Organization have recognised for years that uh, sleep deprivation is a form of torture. And that's effectively what we expose people to when they get <coughs> admitted in emergency departments and can't move from there to a bed on a ward. You don't attend emergency departments to be held there for long periods of time. You're supposed to be there for the immediate urgent treatment and the decision made, do you need to remain in the hospital and continue the treatment or is it possible to continue that treatment at home and you get discharged? But they're not places that are set up to have people for 12, 24, 48 hours or even longer. And unfortunately, with the limited bed capacity in our country, um, that's what's happening right now. And unfortunately, every time it comes anywhere near a bank holiday, I'm not criticising your own colleagues here, Alan, but the media seems to take a great attention to this only around the times of bank holidays. That's a daily occurrence. We get a report every single day called the trolley guard. There's never a day on that when there are no patients on trolleys in hospitals. So every single day, our system is over capacity and nobody really cares. It's just been left... By the way, the problem is growing and growing and really only media attention turns when there's six, seven or 800 or whatever the next record figure is. And I would have to say, I question the figures you or any media person is going to get from the Department of Health or HSE because most of our hospitals are instructed not to count patients when they're in certain parts of the hospital, which means the figure that you see, the highlight figure of 700 or 705, whatever it is, is still way below what it actually is because hospitals are not allowed to record if a person is in the daycare unit when they should be admitted to a ward. And what that means is you can't use the daycare unit for its purpose so somebody else's treatment get delayed elsewhere. But those people are still not in an area they need to be. They're not in the ward that should be doing their long-term treatment. So we <clears throat> we're at a system now where it's inhumane for patients, it's inhumane for staff. Staff are facing very very angry relatives and patients which we can understand but there's very little the staff that they meet face to face can do about that i'm a person who is inside the system i know most doctors and nurses around i would know how to ask for a bed if there was one available there was not one available there was nothing i could do and nothing they could do and i didn't hold that against them but the difficult part was being 48 hours without going to sleep and without having proper meals because the emergency department structures are not set up to have proper meal arrangements and no showering okay. and very limited access to toilets. It is an absolutely horrible position to be put in. You were three days on a trolley. What, what was that whole experience like for you? Can you can you describe it? I went, I went through it myself many moons ago with a kidney stolen. I will never forget the pain. And actually, you talk about being in the media. I know that day my name was actually on the side of the trolley and someone came up to me. You're on the radio. Now you can tell people what it's like. 
Uh, and it, it was a frightening experience. But again, I would not fault the staff. The staff were absolutely brilliant. And when I eventually got into the ward that time, Mick, um, there was one nurse looking after two or three wards and she was just out. I wouldn't criticise the staff in any hospital. I think they're, I think they're, they're knights in shining armour. What was your three-day experience like? None of my comments are a reflection on any of the staff. The treatment I got was fantastic. The difficulty was in the accommodations, which again, <clears throat> the staff don't control that element. So initially I was on a, a chair. I was promoted at one point to a trolley in a corridor. I was moved into a room. I was moved from that room to another room when I needed a, an invasive medical procedure done. I was taken out of that room and put into a, a cubicle with curtains around it. On one side of me was a person who had been arrested by the guards. On the other side of me was somebody who had a stroke and dementia and was very upset being out of their normal circumstances. So, very loud, very noisy. The lights are on all night because the staff obviously have to continue working. There's no way to turn off the lights. You just can't sleep in that kind of environment. And there's always a flow of new people coming in because there's people needing new, sorry, new people arriving who need treatments. So, the... uh, the system is geared up so that it works when there is a flow, when there is a movement in the door, when you need to get your assessments and back out the door, either back home or into a ward. But in our current situation, there's a stalemate here and there's a block that the people are not getting out the back door into the wards and they're all just building up in the emergency department to the point where when I came in, I could see a large number of people in chairs with yeah. trip stands beside them who are obviously in treatment who couldn't even qualify to get onto a bed there was such a few number of beds or trolleys. Seems like the whole thing is an abject failure, Mick. Uh, uh, Absolutely. And, I mean, I know what hasn't happened over the years. We haven't had the increase in beds despite what we hear every year with press releases from the Department of Health or the HSE saying there was 200 beds here and 400 beds here. I would love to see where those numbers are on those beds and to prove that bed did not exist last year because there is a report published by the current Taunashtow when he was Minister for Health in 2002 promising 5,000 beds by the year 2011. That never happened. And the population has a million more than it was then. So we needed far more beds than that and we have constant promises of X is going to be done and Y is going to be done but very little action. We get questioned about our activities as medical practitioners and people saying, if you only work harder, if you only here at weekends, you know the way I work, Alan, you know the way we work. Sure We're there all the time. We cannot provide a room for people if the rooms physically aren't there. If I worked 168 hours a week in the hospital, it wouldn't make any difference. If the rooms aren't there, people will still back up at the emergency department. And that's not a safe way for us to do it. There was a very, very important study published in the UK last year where they studied 7 million admissions. And they've shown that if you waited longer than six hours in the emergency department from your, from your time of de- uh, admission to getting your bed, one of every 82 of those people will die unnecessarily in the hospital. If that time goes up to 12 hours, one in 72 will die. Now, that's 12 hours. They're not counting the 24, 36 or 48 hours that we have in Ireland. And if you look at the trend on that graph, it's going up and up and up. So those numbers, the number of unnecessary deaths are significant because people are not getting treated in the areas where they should be receiving their medical treatment. They're being housed in units that are not designed to house people for long periods of time. 
I've, I've listened to a lot in this programme in recent days and weeks I have never heard anything quite as honest and as open as you are with me this morning Mick um, uh, I don't know where else Alan mm. you get this message across as the, as the medical practitioner who's involved with the medical unions the Irish Medical Organisation I've been spouting this message for 20 years and nobody listens I'm now the patient and I'm speaking from it as mm. having that bitter personal experience and currently in that experience of the last three or four days and it is Horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. The one thing I would ask people, yeah. don't take it out on the staff. Can I just ask you a couple of questions before we conclude? First off, the way you've described where you were with the person uh, who was brought in by Angarda Shikhan, the other person who was suffering from dementia, the lights constantly on, were you actually, I know you don't want to go into your own illness, but were you actually in a lot of pain while all this was going on, as well as all of this? Were you actually in pain while this was, was going on? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's resolved now somewhat but um, not fully gone away but the, the <coughs> situation in, in most of our emergency departments are that there's curtains between patients so when somebody gets a little bit rowdy in one room right. the space disappears very quickly as they're starting to move through the curtains What you've described Mick to me is like something you'd expect in a war setting and I know I'm not being sensational about this, but the way you've described it to me is like something you would see in a movie in a war setting. Is that what it was like? It's like something from a horror movie. I'm not sure what the correct terms would be to to to, uh, to, to describe, to describe it. it. But it's uh, it's certainly not something you want to experience for any significant period of time. Right. And when you work in it, unfortunately, the longer you work, you become a little bit desensitised. Yeah. If you uh, if you um, end up having to uh, spend time there for a long period of time as a patient, then it can be uh, right. significant. I, I, I want to conclude our chat with you. I know that Wexford General Hospital means so much to you. I've spoken to Dr. Youssef, to your colleague, Dr. Paul Kelly, uh, to Linda O'Leary, the, the hospital manager, used to join me with an update. But uh, I think you'd like people to be patient as well. Uh, with the staff in Wexford General Hospital, you're doing your living best uh, to get things back to normal. So what would you like to say to your colleagues and to your friends in, in your own hospital? Again, pointing out that this did not happen in Wexford General Hospital. No. Have you a message no, for them? I think they're doing great work. I, I think the the fire, while it was very, very unfortunate that it happened, it may actually speed up the development of the hospital in the longer run. We just have to hold the minister to account to his statements in that fact and actually demand the additional bed capacity that's acquired at Wexford generally. If you compare Wexford and Kerry County, Kerry County has the Bon Secours, or sorry, the Kerry General Hospital, University Hospital Kerry, which is maybe 100 beds bigger than Wexford, and it has the Bon Secours Hospital, another 150 beds. In Wexford General, we have 220 at its best when everything is open. There's only 100 beds or so now. Right. We need to get back up to that kind of system with about 400 beds in Wexford General to provide a safe service for the county and for the people going forwards. If we don't get that, the Minister has failed and the Department of Health have failed. We need 400 beds in Wexford General Hospital, Mick. I, I would say at a minimum, Alan, now I, yeah. they will minister. Because my understanding is even when, when they had the 97 beds in, which will replace some existing beds, we're going to get possibly 40-something, is it? I have to check the stats, but it's it's well away from Wexford General Hospital and having 400 beds. But you believe we need 400 beds? We, we need that to make sure you don't have a waiting list, you don't have people on trolleys, that you've got capacity and that you never are working at more than 75%. 
the, the, there's a recognised international metric of 85% when a hospital is more than 85% full, bad things go wrong because people are getting treated in a hurry, they're being moved around, there isn't the care and attention being given to patients. Our hospitals are currently over 100% and sometimes over yeah. 110%. To get that metric down to 85 in Wexford General, you'd need around 400 beds and that's what we should be aiming for. Well, Mick, all I can say to you is we stand four square beside you. We stood beside Wexford General Hospital during the dark days. We stand with you again, and um, I hope there's no backlash against you for what you've said so honestly and openly uh, to me uh, this morning, because one thing I can assure you is we stand with you again. Thanks, Alan. Southeast Radio's Morning Mix. Chat, news, and your views. Alan Corcoran.